Our scripture today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. Uh, And out of reverence for God and the gospel word, I invite you now to stand as you're able. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, teacher, when will this be and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom, there will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds, not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and siblings, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's really hard to follow what the chancel choir is saying with a sermon about the end of the world, so I'll try to make this as happy as possible. (laughs) Growing up, one of my family's favorite things to do on a rainy day was we'd invite a few friends over and watch scary movies. It's one of my favorite things. I don't know what it is about being scared, I watch scary movies like this with blankets or pillows like up to here. I just looking through, like I don't want to see, but for some reason I love scary movies and my family did. And that was one of our staples and nothing was ever as fun as getting out an Alfred Hitchcock movie. I was raised on them from Psycho to to Rope, from North by Northwest to Vertigo. We loved them all, but our favorite one was, can you guess? Oh, wow. It was really good. The Birds, the 1963 movie about a girl who pursues a potential guy friend to a small town that slowly takes a turn for the not-so-good when birds of all kinds suddenly begin uh, to attack people. (laughs) There is, what's funny? (laughs) I'm kidding. There's a scene, it still scares us, it still scares us. There's, There's a scene in that movie, it's in a restaurant where the characters are discussing what's beginning to happen in their community. And it seems there are these thousands of of birds gathering, not to mention acting erratically. And throughout the conversation, one guy is in the corner of the restaurant at the bar, and he says a number of times, rather prophetically, it's the end of the world, over and over again. Of course, nobody really pays attention to that guy. But those of you who have seen the movie know that he's not 100% wrong. (laughs) 
For some in the movie, it really is the end of the world, at least the end of theirs. That quote actually became a constant in my family. We're a movie-quoting family, and so we'd say that when things were not so serious. Like, we ran out of Cheez-Its, it's the end of the world. Or Chick-fil-A is closed on a Sunday, again, it's the end of the world. Uh, it, It became a way for us to just make light of most situations, to remind ourselves that we are really not so serious. But in our passage today, Jesus is pointing to the end of the world, or at least the beginning of it, and it is serious. Now, last week we talked about how Luke is, is super interested in showing the side of Jesus that cares for the poor, the outcast, and those in need. And so leading up to our passage, just the, first, the five verses prior, five or six verses prior, Jesus is still doing those things. He's warning the disciples about the scribes who seek respect and wear nice robes and sit in the best seats in the house. They legally seize widows' homes through debtors' courts and they say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And a couple verses later, Jesus highlights a, a poor widow who put in two small coins into the treasury. And he says she has given so much more than anybody else. And after that, Jesus overhears some, some, some people speaking about the temple, how it's adorned with beautiful stones and gifts and riches dedicated to God, and Jesus can't help himself. As for these things, he says, the days will come when nothing's going to be left. No stone is going to be left on another. All will be thrown down. The temple's beauty was known throughout the Mediterranean. It was the largest of the ancient temples, gates of bronze, an incredible vine made of gold. It was epic and majestic. You could see it from a long way off, shining brightly. Built by Herod the Great, known far and wide. And as they marvel at this incredible sight, Jesus says, everything you see, all the places you've built for yourself, these walls, these massive stones, the stuff you hold dear, it will all come to an end. It'll be rubble on the ground. It sounds a lot like the prophets. Micah chapter 3 says, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become piles of rubble. And the temple mount will become an overgrown mound. Jeremiah 26, I will make this temple a ruin. I mean, and it, it truly comes alive. If, you, if you've ever been or you ever go to Jerusalem, you can see it. They'll lead you outside where the, the temple used to be. And there on the ground are these huge stones that belong to the temple. Broken and shattered on the ground. Jesus and the prophets were right. (laughs) Nothing lasts. The temple's gone. And the disciples, when Jesus says this, everything's going to be destroyed, the disciples ask, when? Tell us, when is it going to come to an end? And Jesus gives specifics without being too specific. That's generally the Jesus way. He tends to ask more questions Then he answers, but when he does give an answer, it's really, it's never the kind of answer that I want. (laughs) Jesus says, watch out for the doomsday deceivers. Many leaders are going to show up and claim to be the Messiah. Pretend Messiahs will show up and say, the time is near. They're wrong. (laughs) Don't go after them. I'm reminded, and you probably remember this, it's happened many times over the years, but in 2011, There was a guy, there was a preacher who said the end of the world was coming in May 21st, 2011. 
Actually, he said 3% of the world was going to be swept up then, and then the end of the world was going to happen actually October 21st of 2011. Spoiler alert, it didn't happen. 2011 came and went, and we're still here. I think he later regretted his failed prediction. He predicted it in the 90s as well. And I believe after this last time, his radio station lost a little bit of funding. One of my favorite music groups, Nickel Creek, wrote a song about it called the 21st of May, and this is how one of the, the, the verses goes. They laughed while Noah built his boat, then cried when came the rain. They mock me now, but I will float on the 21st of May. I've never been so sure, and I've never led no one astray, except in the fall of 94. But hallelujah, the 21st of May. It's a true metaphor of our need for certainty, for control, to try and mathematically calculate Scripture to give us what we want, even though that's not what Scripture was ever about. We long for certainty. We need it. Unfortunately, it's hard to come by certainty. Pliny the Elder said, the only certainty is that nothing is what? Certain. Rudyard Kipling disagreed. He said this of certainty, a woman's guess is much more accurate than a man's certainty. But we can't forget the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The disciples need answers. They're no different than we are. They want to know when the destruction of the temple and the beginning of the end will occur. Jesus doesn't tell them when the end of all things will occur, but he does share some details. A lot of things are going to happen. Earthquakes, wars, famines, uprisings. But this isn't it. This is just part of history. It's not a sign of the end, but it will feel like it. There will be things that happen that will make it feel like the end of the world. Eugene Peterson says it this way, you'll think at times that the very sky is falling. <laughs> Reminds me of a bumper sticker I saw one time. All it said was this, Chicken Little was right. Um, Jesus says, you, you'll think the world is ending, that the sky is falling. And then he gets specific for the disciples. You, you're going to be arrested, persecuted, handed over. You're going to go in front of councils and judges and Caesar. You will have to share why you're there. But don't worry, I'm sending you a guide soon enough to give you the words. But there will be betrayal. Death will come for most of you, and you will be hated. But, he says, not a hair on your heads will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. But, it certainly will feel like the end of the world. Anne Lamott tackles the moments in our lives and culture that feel like the end in her book, Stitches. She writes this, it is easy to sense and embrace meaning when life is on track, when there's a feeling of fullness, having love, goodness, family, work, God as parts of life. It's easier to navigate around the sadness that you will inevitably stumble across. But where do we even begin in the presence of evil or catastrophe or tragedy? In the presence of 9-11 or a diagnosis or Katrina, or a suicide in the family, or a divorce, or a school shooting, when it feels as though the world is coming to an end. 
Of course, she says it has been since the day each of us was born. I think that's a little bit of what Jesus is getting at in this passage. Essentially, collective and individual suffering is headed your way. It's headed my way. At some point in this journey, it may feel like the end of the world, though it may not actually be the end of it. But there will be moments in our lives that we feel, this is the end of my world as I know it, the end of life as I have experienced it for as long as I can remember. We've all experienced or will experience that kind of thing at some point. A moment that feels like the sky is falling and the loss of a job and a divorce and a diagnosis and the loss of a friend or loved one and a moment that we truly have trouble understanding and grasping meaning. In truth, it feels meaningless and without direction. In my time in youth ministry, over a period of 18 months, we lost four students. And I watched families and students weep and seek understanding in the suffering. I saw them at the end of their worlds. And the worst part about the end of the world, about those kinds of scenarios, is that it, it can feel like the suffering is meaningless. I actually think that's the worst part, that this monumental shift, this end of my world is pointless. There is no reason, no meaning to the suffering, to the tragedy. That may be one of the greatest fears of humanity, that we might suffer for nothing, that there will be no meaning to the pain we experience. But I think that it is in the midst of suffering that I've often encountered folks who rise up and actually find meaning in the storm. Kathleen Norris, in her, in her book, Amazing Grace, tries to tackle the end of the world. She says this, We know that marriages, families, communities, nations often come together and discover their true strength. When some apocalypse, some new revelation of the fault lines in our lives, an end of the world scenario has occurred. She says, hospital chaplains see it all the time. For some reason, we human beings seem to learn best how to love when we're a bit broken. When our plans fall apart, when our myths of our self-sufficiency and goodness and safety are shattered. The end of the world, the apocalypse, <laughs> brings us to our senses and allows us a sobering and usually painful glimpse of what is possible in the new life we build from the ashes of the old. I have no idea what you have experienced in your life, what kind of end-of-the-world moments have happened to you. I don't know your personal tragedies, those moments that have brought you to your knees asking God why and searching for meaning in the midst of sadness. All I can point to is Jesus, who says, even if it feels like the sky is falling, even when the pain is too much to bear, even when life will never be the same, you aren't alone. For I am in your midst, working reconciliation from the dust, working new life from the ashes, finding meaning in the suffering, pointing to hope at the end of the world. Sarah Groves, in her beautiful song, He's Always Been Faithful, sings this line, and I love this, I can't remember a trial or a pain God did not recycle to bring me gain. That is our God. Not a God who causes hurt and pain, who orchestrates tragedy and suffering, but a God who sits in the middle of it with us. 
and then recycles it, repurposes it, and in it guides us toward hope and joy and peace and new life. Anne Lamott tells another story she heard from her pastor. She says, My pastor Veronica one Sunday told the story of a sparrow lying in the street with its legs straight up in the air, sweating a little bit under its feathery arms. A warhorse walks up to the bird and asks, What on earth are you doing? And the sparrow replies, I heard the sky was falling and I wanted to help. The horse laughs a big, loud, sneering horse laugh and says, Do you really think you're going to hold back the sky with those scrawny little legs? And the sparrow said, one does what one can. I don't know when the literal end of the world will occur. No one does. I have a lot of certainty about that. But I have a faith, a hope, and a blessed assurance that is deeper than any mathematical measure And I trust Jesus when he says, you won't be alone. I've got you. I trust Jesus when he says, even if the sky is falling, I'll hold it with you, feet in the air. And in the word of the psalmist in Psalm 91, for those that dwell in the secret place of the Most High, there may be no deliverance out of trouble, but there will assuredly be deliverance in the midst of trouble. Let us pray. Gracious God, you promise deliverance. You promise that faith is not an escape from life, but into life. From meaningless into meaning, from bondage to freedom, from futility into purpose. And God, in the midst of hardship, we trust that you are able to recycle our pain and turn it into something new and beautiful and life-giving. You don't promise us that life will be easy, but you promise that we will not be alone. So God, even if it feels like the sky is falling, may we together hold it with one another. And may we always know that you are there with us, holding, holding it with us. In Jesus' name, amen.